Well, I'm excited about today's message because we're going to look at the Apostle Peter, and he's, as far as I'm concerned, one of the great stories in the Bible of someone who's, whose life changed in dramatic ways. I mean, he's, he's all over the show, isn't he? He's up, he's down, he's got highs and lows. And uh, as you probably figured out, he was one of those very outspoken apostles, maybe the, the most outspoken of the 12 apostles, uh, at least during Jesus' earthly ministry. He was a very bold witness for the faith, for Jesus Christ, at least in the end he was. Uh, his beginnings were humble origins. Remember, Jesus went up to the, the northern regions up in Galilee, and uh, we found that uh, G- Peter was a fisherman. He wasn't a scholar. He wasn't a, a philosopher. He wasn't uh, you know, a political leader. He wasn't any of those sort of things. And uh, he, he's just a humble fisherman living there in the, the shores of the Sea of Galilee. Probably born around, you know, just, just about 1 B.C. As far as I know, he died around A.D. 67. The Bible says his name was Simon, but uh, uh, it's interesting that Jesus ended up changing his name. Uh, and, of course, Jesus was the one who changed his name, and he changed it to, to a name that means rock. Rock. <laughs> uh, that's what Peter means. He was also the brother of Andrew. Remember, Andrew was a uh, disciple of John the Baptist. Andrew is the one who's, who's always going and bringing people to Jesus Christ, and he's a good example in that. But he brought his brother to, to John the Baptist, so they both were one of the, the first the, the followers of John the Baptist. Uh, the Bible says Peter was married, and uh, that'll, that'll come up later. At, uh, I'll tell you about that later on, but Peter was like all of us. He was human, of course. So don't don't think what some people kind of put him really up high on the some some you know on some pedestal of some kind, and some even make him the first pope. He wasn't a pope. He was like all human beings before their call. God calls them. He was a sinful man, a sinful man just like you and me. But one of the things we learn is, is that his, his life is a living illustration of the theme that I want to highlight for you today. It's this, that God's grace overcomes failure. Yes, he was a failure. And we're going to see uh, in the passage here in Matthew today that Peter denies Christ. He was a failure, even though he said he wouldn't. But we see God's grace overcomes failure. But let's look at, first of all, Jesus' uh, prediction of Peter's failure, his denial. Let's start reading in Matthew 26, verse 31. Matthew 26, verse 31 says, Then Jesus said to them, that's the disciples, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And Peter answered him, Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. Now, last week we looked at the next passage there, so we're not going to look at uh, Jesus there in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane. But notice Peter's bold words here. 
Jesus predicts Peter's denial, but Peter says it won't happen. <laughs> That's a pretty bold statement, isn't it? He's, he's arguing with Jesus, saying it won't happen. Well, of course, Jesus knew that it would, because he, he, he knows all things. So let's take a look at uh, where Peter actually denies Jesus, which comes in verse 69. Verse 69. So this is after the Garden of Gethsemane, and uh, Jesus is taken back into Jerusalem. So look what happens here in verse 69. Now Peter was was sitting outside in the courtyard. That's, that's the courtyard of the high priest where Jesus is on trial. <clears throat> and a servant girl came up to him and said, You also were, were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you mean. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him, and she said to the bystanders, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. After a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Certainly you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. And then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Let's take a look at each one of these three denials of Peter here. So he denies Jesus Christ three times. The first one's in verse 70. In verse 70, Peter here is in the process of what, what Jesus talked about earlier in Matthew, of saving his life and losing his soul. Remember when Jesus said that in chapter 10, whoever denies me before people, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. Very dangerous situation, but Peter is in the process here. He's trying to save himself from a very dangerous situation. He sees, that Pe- he sees Jesus on trial. Jesus is going to be crucified. And so he's just trying to save his own skin. Well, as if that's bad, not bad enough, Peter denies Jesus a second time in verse 72. And so each one of these, the, the challenge is intensifying here. The difficult, it's getting more difficult for Peter. And so as this challenge intensifies, so does Peter's negative response to the challenge. Just take a look at this, because now what is he doing? He's, he's denying any knowledge of Jesus, but he goes a step beyond that, and he's, and the Bible says he, he does it with an oath. He's making a vow, a promise. So according to Peter, Jesus is now just nothing more than a man. Did you, did you see that in verse 72? He, d- he denies this, this uh, with an oath, and he says, I do not know the man. <laughs> so he's calling Jesus a man. So he's gone even further down this road of apostasy. And in the third denial, which is in verse 70 t- 74, it's even worse. So now we got the... Uh, it was individuals before, but now you notice in verse 74, this whole group is coming to Peter and they're beginning to challenge him. So maybe 
Peter's kind of feeling the peer pressure even more, whereas before it was just, it was just a girl who was asking him. And now we've got a whole group. And it's interesting, the Bible uses the word truly. The word truly there shows the certainty that this group was feeling. Because in verse 74, it says, Then they began to evoke a, or then he began to evoke a curse on himself. But it says, uh, sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm a little lost here. But anyway, the, the idea here is, is uh, they, they feel like they know what they're talking about. And so the, there, there's a present tense used in their Bible. You are. You are is, is just a further challenge here. They're hinting that Peter is still a follower of this Jesus of Nazareth. By the way, that wasn't a, that wasn't a term of endearment. That was an attack. They're trying to belittle Jesus and Peter in the process. And trying to threaten him that maybe he too should be arrested. Maybe he also should be on trial with Jesus. And so this third and final denial here is the most severe of, of all of them. And the, the oath is very serious stuff, by the way. Did you notice Peter is he's invoking a curse on himself? On himself. Now you need to understand in the ancient world, uh, the oath formula was often... Uh, Kind of like, was, I'll just kind of put it in my own words for you. It's kind of like saying this. May God do such and such to me if... Right? That, that's kind of the idea of what he's saying here. May God do such and such to me. Whoa. Uh, Peter's anchoring his lie here by invoking this curse on himself if the lie isn't actually true, which of course it is. Not the smartest thing for Peter to be doing, but that's what he is doing. And so after Peter heard the rooster crow here, he then, the Bible says, he recalls Jesus' prophecy. He recalls Jesus' words. Jesus said that you're going to deny me three times. So on the surface, uh, he may have thought that he had, some have said maybe Peter was thinking he had committed the unpardonable sin. I've committed the unpardonable sin, therefore I am eternally doomed. Of course, that wasn't the case. Uh, he shows his deep repentance, by the way, here, and, and in the other Gospels. We see him, he goes out and he, he wept bitterly. He wept bitterly. Peter knows he doesn't deserve to be forgiven, and so he weeps bitter tears. Let me ask you this question. Why did Peter fall? I've heard it said that the, the only thing that we learn from history is that we don't learn from history. You ever heard that? <laughs> Uh, you, we do need to learn from history. We need to learn. We have an example here in Scripture that we need to learn from. So why did Peter fall? Number one, Peter didn't believe Jesus' warnings. He didn't believe Jesus' warning. Well, that's dangerous. And by the way, uh, even worse than that, Peter's actually contradictory. He's, he's being contradictory to Jesus, and he's doing it openly. He's telling Jesus that Jesus was wrong. You say, how arrogant of, of Peter. How, how could he tell Jesus to his face that he's wrong? Well, before you start pointing your finger at Jesus, I need to remind myself, I often do the same thing that Peter does here. How often do we tell Jesus that he's wrong? You know, we, we do it when we read Scripture and say, I'm not doing that. Or, God wants me to do that? Nah. God says, don't do that, and we go ahead and do it anyway. 
That's just like, just like Peter arguing with Jesus. It's a foolish thing to do. And now, it's very easy for us to get all kind of high and mighty and think, man, I would never do that. But you need to recognize that you and I are very much like Peter. You're like Peter when you don't believe what Jesus says in the Bible, what the Bible says. Or when you disobey the Bible, you're actually saying, Jesus, I don't believe you. Jesus clearly believes in Scripture. He said that many times here. And he's highlighting that, that these various events that are going on and what he's saying is in fulfillment of Scripture. So Peter fell because he didn't believe Jesus' warning. Number two, Peter looked down on the other disciples. In his heart, Peter thought he was probably the most upright. He's, he's the one who's, who's got it together. He's the most perceptive. He's the most courageous. He's the most whatever, you name it. And of course, that wasn't the case. And by the way, neither are we. It's easy for us to look down on other Christians. We, we want to find somebody who's supposedly worse off or more sinful or whatever, and it makes us feel better. We try to find somebody at which we can judge ourselves to be superior than them. And, and then we want to, we want, we want pats on the back from ourselves and other people. But we're not, stronger there's no sin that some other believer has committed that you are not capable of committing as well very easy for us to 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 think hey i'm not going to fall but the bible says you need to take heed lest you also fall so peter looked down on the other disciples he's proud that was one of the reasons he fell and number three peter had an inflated opinion of himself well that goes with the pride doesn't it he was not as strong as he thought he was he thought hey i will jesus i will never do this to you and he goes ahead and does it he was actually a coward he was weak he was a failure and his failure by the way by the way was even worse than the other disciples because the bible says the other disciples just fled but peter goes and he actually outwardly denies Christ to the unbelievers. So his failure was worse because he denied Jesus. And number four, fourth reason why Peter fell is he failed to pray. Remember we talked about in the Garden of Gethsemane last week, Jesus commanded the disciples to watch and pray. Why? Because your flesh is weak. You don't want to enter in... When you're entering into temptation, you 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 don't want... When that, that battle goes on between your flesh and the Spirit, you want the, the Spirit to be strong to overcome your flesh. He failed to pray. He was told to pray, but he didn't. Instead, he was sleeping. And it, as a result, he didn't receive the strength. He didn't receive God's grace he needed to overcome temptation. Let me ask you this. How, how many of your failures, how many of my failures are a result of my Failure to pray. I enter into temptation weak. My flesh is too strong. Well, the Apostle Paul told the Thessalonians to pray continually. By the way, that's a command. That doesn't mean you're, you're doing nothing else except praying, but at least, at least you're in this constant communion with God throughout the day, constantly communing with Him. The question is, do we pray continually? I'd be shocked if any of us do. 
And that's one of the reasons why Peter failed. Number five, fifth reason why Peter failed is Peter thought he could be safe in bad company. The Bible says bad company is going to corrupt us. Iron does sharpen iron, the Bible says. And so here he goes. He goes into the courtyard of these religious leaders where Jesus is on trial, and he, he's, he's there in their midst. I don't know what he, he's probably thinking. He's, he's safe, but of course he wasn't. He wasn't amongst friends. He was in a dangerous environment, and it didn't help, did it? They were his sworn enemies, and they were not there to encourage Peter in his faith. They weren't to encourage him in his relationship and fellowship with Jesus. They're there for the exact opposite. And so Peter wasn't faithful to the Lord. Part of that is because he was in bad company. Well, my next question for you is this. Why did Peter not ultimately fall away? Why did he not become an apostate, in other words? Well, the answer is actually found in Luke chapter 22. Look at this. It's on the screen. Here's what Jesus said. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. What does Jesus say there? Jesus says why Peter didn't fall away. Even though Satan's wanting to come and get Peter, remember Satan, like Peter, in fact, Peter says it in his own epistle that Satan's like that roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. That's what Satan wanted to do to, to Simon Peter. But why didn't he fall away? Well, Jesus says he prayed for him. That's the only reason he didn't ultimately fall away. By the way, it's encouraging what Jesus says there, isn't it? That, that yes, you're going to fall away, but I have a purpose and a plan. I'm going to restore you. My grace is going to overcome your failure, and you're going to be a blessing and a help to your, to your fellow apostles. So are you aware that Jesus, by the way, has also prayed for you that your faith would not fail? Jesus continues to pray for your perseverance. In fact, if you read John chapter 17, it's, it, it's an awesome chapter. Jesus is praying. And in John 17, he prays not only for those original 12 disciples, not just for Peter, but it's really cool because in verse 20, Jesus says, says this. He says, for those who will believe in me through their message. And that is, he's talking about us. All who will believe. Jesus says, I'm praying for you too, that your faith would persevere and would not fail. And then in verse 24, this is awesome as well. Look at this. Jesus prayed this. I quote from verse 24. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. So he talks about, he's, he's praying to his heavenly father. Jesus is talking to his father. He's, he's talking about these ones who would believe in him. All those whom the father had given to him. Those are the believers. So clearly Jesus is praying for us as well. And the Bible says we have our, our great high priest, our advocate, who's at the father's right hand in heaven. Even today, Jesus' ministry continues on your behalf. That's the only way we're not going to fail Jesus Christ. It's because we need Him. 
Well, I want to move on to John chapter 21. Because in John, turn over to John chapter 21, because here we see, even though Peter had failed, Jesus comes to Peter after his resurrection and recommissions Peter. So let's look at Jesus' recommission of Peter in John 21. Again, remember the context. Jesus has died on the cross. He rose again from the dead three days later. And Jesus comes to the disciples. They're up in, up in Galilee. You can see that in the context. So they've gone back to Galilee. And so Jesus comes to them. And look what the Bible says here. This is, this is amazing. Now, you may not get everything that's going on here because of the English, but in the Greek, I want you to just take note when Jesus uses the word love, just I'll point this out. When he uses the word love, the first two times, Jesus uses the Greek word agapao or agape, the, the, this, this God-sacrificial, unconditional love. And it's interesting, Peter, Peter knows, no, I, I failed you, Christ. Jesus says, Lord, I failed you. I, 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 can't, I can't do that. So Peter's going to use the, the Greek word phileo, a brotherly love. I can do that, Lord. I can love you with a brotherly love. So that's, uh, have, have a look at this. Starting in verse 15, John 21, verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me, agapao me, more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. I, I love you with a brotherly love. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, this is Jesus talking to Simon, Simon, son of John, do you agapao me, love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. I love you with this brotherly love. Peter's probably thinking, oh man, this is embarrassing. He's asked me twice. <laughs> By the way, there's a correlation to the three, the three matching up with the three denials of Christ. But again, Jesus says the same similar sort of thing here. In uh, verse 16, he said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon's probably thinking, oh no, not a third time. Simon, son of John, do you... Now Jesus changes the word. It's no longer the Greek word agapao, it's the Greek word phileo, the same one that Peter's been using. In other words, okay, Simon, Peter, so you can't agapao me. You can't love me with this unconditional God-like love. Well, can you at least love me with a brotherly love? He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, the idea is there, there's a certainty. This is, this is actually going to happen. He's, I say to you, when you were young... 
you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. It's interesting. Clearly, in case you're wondering, what in the world is Jesus talking about there in verse 18? I mean, he's, he's going to be taken where he doesn't want to go. Somebody else is going to dress him. He's going to have his arms stretched out. What's up with that? Well, Jesus is clearly talking about Peter's death. It says so in verse 19. God says, I will be glorified through Peter's death. How cool is that? That even our deaths bring God honor and glory. That's, and so it's a, it's a clear allusion to Jesus uh, knows what's going to happen to Peter. So again, we see that Jesus is sovereign. He's, he's in control, reigning supreme over his creation here. And he talks of his crucifixion. That uh, Peter would be taken where he didn't want to go. And his hands would be stretched out on the cross. That he would be crucified. So Peter denied Jesus three times. And it's cool how Jesus reaffirms his, his love and recommissions Peter again with these, these three affirmations here. So Jesus, again, he uses that, that, that Greek word agape in his first two questions and then he changes to phileo in the third. It, it's as if he's asking Peter, hey Peter, are you really my friend? Yes, I know you failed. But are you really my friend? And so Jesus' command to Peter here is, take care of my sheep. If you claim to be my friend, then take care of my sheep. Feed the sheep. So to take care of his sheep meant Peter had then been fully forgiven. Peter had been restored as an apostle of Jesus Christ. And so in case you're wondering, Peter remained obedient, by the way, to the Lord's command to his commission for the rest of his life. The resurrection of Jesus Christ changed Peter's life hugely. And Peter never forgot that. Turn with me to Matthew 28. Matthew 28. We need to remind ourselves often of how Matthew ends. And here we see Jesus commissioned to His disciples. Again, the context is there in Galilee. Jesus told them to go to Galilee. He said He would meet them in Galilee. They've done that. And here we have Matthew 28, verse 16. It says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mount to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw them, they worshipped Him, but some doubted. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So Jesus is saying, based on that authority, the power that He inherently has, He commands His disciples, in verse 19, to go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now eventually we'll get to this passage and look at it in depth. I don't, that's not my purpose right now. But I do want to highlight again, Jesus 
commissions, Peter is one of the eleven. He hasn't given up on Peter. Yes, he denied Christ. Yes, he failed. But, but God's grace is clearly overcoming Peter's failure. He had a commission, a great commission given to him that he was to make disciples. And clearly Peter, we're going to see, he, go, he goes and does that. And in the very next, uh, the very, uh, next book after the Gospels is the book of Acts. Turn over to the book of Acts. I just want to highlight a few things we see in Peter's life, how God used Peter. Of course, Jesus sends the Holy Spirit after he goes back to heaven. We see the beginning of the book of Acts, the ascension of Jesus Christ to heaven. He goes to his Father. The Holy Spirit comes upon them, and they are used of God. God's very gracious to them. We see the church beginning here. On the day of Pentecost, and God used Peter, it says, to preach to this huge crowd that was in Jerusalem. And the church began, it says, with an influx of about 3,000 new believers. If you look at Acts chapter 2, you'll see that. Acts chapter 2, look at verse 38. Verse 38, we see how Peter's used here in verse 38. Peter said to them, the crowd that's in Jerusalem, he says, repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. That's the beginning of the church. And of course, you, see, you saw Peter's name. God was using Peter. God was gracious. We see God's grace overcoming failure. And then in chapter 4, Peter was used to God again. He's, he's preaching boldly, and this time... This time it's before the very people who crucified Jesus. It's the Sanhedrin, this religious Jewish council, the one who has great authority, the very ones who could kill Peter himself, and Peter is there preaching boldly before them. <coughs> so let's look at Acts chapter 4, verse 1. Acts 4, verse 1. And as they, that's uh, Peter and John, were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. They were greatly annoyed because Peter and John, that's they, Peter and John were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. When they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Now, they're, you have to look at chapter 3. They're talking about the healing of this man who was in Solomon's portico. 
So they're asking about the healing of that man. By what power, by what name did you heal that man? Verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it but in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. It's interesting, their response. Does Peter deny Christ? No, we don't see Peter denying. Because look, if you look at verse 19... It says in verse 19, But Peter and John answered them, Whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. So they didn't deny Jesus this time. They were bold in their witness. So even though they were arrested, the, the peer pressure is is put on them. It's, they're being interrogated. It's like the FBI's called these guys up and put them in handcuffs and put the spotlight on them and asking them, asking them inquisitive questions. And they've been beaten. They're being threatened. None of that uh, dampened Peter's resolve to preach the risen Christ. In fact, right after this, in this very context, look what happens in chapter 5. Chapter 5, verse 40. Chapter 5, verse 40, it says, And when they had called in the apostles, uh, that's, that's again the rulers called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. That's awesome. Clearly, these these guys, um, including Peter, were not going to deny Jesus because God's grace overcome his failure. 
So what should you do when things get tough? I mean, things got tough for these guys. Uh, all, all, the, all the apostles, by the way, except uh, the apostle John, died a, a martyr's death. So it wasn't easy for them. So what should you do when things get tough? Well, did you know that Peter, later on in his life, actually wrote a book of the Bible that deals with suffering? I think it's appropriate that we have a look at this. So turn over to 1 Peter. Look at 1 Peter. This is a book of the Bible that Peter wrote that addresses those who are suffering. These are people who are suffering for good. They're suffering for their faith. And that's why I'm asking this question from 1 Peter. What do, or so why? Let me, the first question is this. Why do Christians suffer for good? Peter addresses that. In fact, he gives two reasons in this, this book of the Bible why Christians suffer for good. And, that, and, and the good there is not referring to sin. So Peter says, if you suffer for your sin, then so be it. That's, that's what we deserve. But what about when we suffer for good, when it's for the cause of Christ, when we're being a witness for Christ, when, when we're standing for the faith? What do we do then? Why do Christians suffer in, for good? The first reason, according to Peter, is Christians suffer because God has chosen us to be His special people. We've been chosen to be a special people. We're special. Not in and of ourselves, but we're special because God has made us holy. The idea of holiness, by the way, in Peter here, is that He has set us apart. So when God says He's holy, He's it means He's unique. He's distinct from His creation. He is set apart from His creation. And so... Have a look at this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. 2 Peter, or 1 Peter, make sure you're in 1 Peter, chapter 2, verse 9. It says that you, that's believers, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. What will happen to God's people if they live a holy life? What's going to happen to you if you live a life that is distinct from the world? If your life is set apart from the world, if you're not being conformed into the world, but your mind is being transformed by the renewal of your mind through the Scriptures, what do you think is going to happen to you? Well, Paul said to Timothy, all who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And the answer is the world is going to think you are strange. Right? You ever had the world think you're strange? You're weird. You, you are peculiar (laughs) you're not going along with us and peter actually referred to these christians these persecuted christians as strangers several times just have a look i'll give you a couple examples here in fact the very first verse first peter 1 verse 1 look at this peter an apostle of jesus christ to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion and he goes on to mention these Several places. So these are elect exiles. They're, these are people who are, 
who are strangers. If you go on uh, later on, um, look at verse 17. Look at verse 17. Chapter 1, verse 17. He says, And if you call on Him as Father who judges impartially, according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Uh, The exile there has the ideas, these people are not like the world, they're distinct from the world, they're they're in exile. And and Peter uses that word, and he uses the word even strangers in some Bible translations. So these Christians were different. By the way, so should you. You should be different from the world. And if you are, you're going to suffer as a Christian because God has chosen you to be His special people. Number two, Christians suffer because they're called to participate in the sufferings of Christ. Peter says in this book that our suffering is something that should not surprise us. You should expect it. For example, look at chapter 4, verse 12. Chapter 4, verse 12, Peter says, Beloved... Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But then in verse 13 he says, rejoice. Rejoice. Why? Why? Well, that's kind of like the point that we're trying to make here. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. So Jesus Christ suffered rejection when He was in the world. Jesus said, you and I can expect the same. The world's going to persecute Christ's followers just as it persecuted Christ Himself. Peter says here, the proper response is, don't be surprised if you suffer. Instead, rejoice because you you get to bear the, the marks of Jesus. You get to participate in the sufferings of Christ. So in a sense, suffering is your calling then. Suffering, by the way, is also your example. Christ says that He is our example in suffering. In fact, look what Peter says in chapter 2, verse 20. Chapter 2, verse 20. Chapter 2, verse 20. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called. My friends, do you see it's a calling to suffer for Christ? Peter says so. For this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in His steps. So you're called to suffering. You have Christ as your example of how you are to endure in suffering. So the first question hopefully is answered for you. Why do Christians suffer for good? Well, God says He's chosen you to be a special people. You are called to this very purpose to participate in the sufferings of Christ. Well, then the next question is this. What should suffering Christians do? If we're going to suffer, we're not to be surprised. We're supposed to rejoice in this. Okay, then what do we do? Well, Peter says three things in his book. Number one, be holy. Be holy. In other words, you're to be distinct 
set apart. You look at chapter 1, chapter 1, verse 16. Chapter 1, verse 16. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. God says be holy. Did you notice why we are to be holy? We are to be holy because God's holy. God is set apart from His creation. So we're holy people because, well, we have a relationship to a holy God. After all, you think about that. His Holy Spirit lives in us. Therefore, we've got to reflect His character as best we can through the power of the Spirit. Now, why? Well, it's because God's holy. He's unique, distinct, separate from His creation. So what should suffering Christians do? You need to be holy. Number two, you need to be witnesses. Peter tells us to be witnesses to the non-Christians. Look at chapter 2, verse 11. Chapter 2, verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles, that's the unbelievers, keep your conduct amongst these unbelievers honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Peter calls us to be witnesses for Jesus Christ as we suffer. He's called us to be holy. And then number three, how should uh, suffering Christians suffer? (laughs) What do you do when you're suffering? Be loving. Be loving, Peter says. We're to be loving, number one, toward each other, toward toward other believers. And uh, you know what? That's going to be difficult when you're suffering. It's difficult to, to suffer in a, in a gracious way, in a loving way, in a spiritual, godly way. When, when the church is under pressure and the church is under stress, it's very easy for that stress to affect us in negative ways. So when the, the pressure is coming from the outside, what often happens with a lot of things, that, that pressure, that stress infects something internally. On the inside. And that's why Peter wrote these words in chapter 4. Look at chapter 4, verse 7. Peter understands pressure. Peter understands suffering. Look what he says, chapter 4, verse 7. He says, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So my friends, when we suffer, we need to be good witnesses of Jesus Christ. We need to love one another. 
And it's interesting how Peter ends this book. His Basically, his last exhortation is to stand firm. Stand firm. Chapter 5, verse 12, he talks of this true grace of God. The, the grace of God that overcome, overcame Peter's failure is the same grace that can help you overcome your failure. And, and Peter, Peter says in chapter 5, verse 12, he says, Stand firm in this grace. So my friends, stand firm as Peter did in his later years. By the way, do you know how Peter's life, I should say his earthly life ended? Because it wasn't the end, was it? It was the end of his earthly life, but it was the beginning of his eternal life with Jesus Christ. Do you know how Peter's earthly life ended? Well, the Bible doesn't actually tell us. I mean, Peter has hinted at it. Sorry, Matthew's hinted at it. The words of Jesus said that he would go where he didn't want to go. Somebody else would dress him. His arms and hands would be stretched out even though he didn't want that. Well, if you look at the records of church history, they tell us, indicate that Peter was crucified. It's written that he, in fact, the, the, the records tell us that Peter had to watch his wife be crucified before his very eyes. And as he watched his wife being led to her death on the cross, he actually supposedly said to her, Remember the Lord. And when it was Peter's turn to die, he pleaded not to be crucified as Jesus Christ was, but he said, Please turn me upside down. I am not worthy to die as my Lord did. And so they did. He was nailed to a cross with his head downward, which would have probably been an even worse way to die. And so we see, this is how Peter ends his earthly life. To the very end, he was faithful to the Lord. So we have a man who, the beginnings were quite arrogant. He was a cocky man, proud man. He was a man of thunder. And he ended up becoming a humble, willing, obedient servant of the Lord, even to his, his death, his dying days. And he rejoiced in that day of his death as he talks about here in this letter, in this epistle. He knew that he would be reunited with Jesus Christ, and that's why he could rejoice. So this lowly fisherman became the mighty fisher of men. Remember Jesus told him he would? He said these, these fishers of, uh, of fish would become fishers of men. Come, follow me. And that's exactly what God's grace did in Peter's life. The one that changed and shaped the world forever was a failure, just as you and I are failures, but God's grace overcame his failure. And he shaped the world and still is shaping the world, by the way. Every time you read the gospel according to Mark, John Mark wrote that book. Do you know who, who told Mark what is in the book of Mark? Peter did. So every time you read the gospel according to Mark, think of Peter. Think of how God was gracious to Peter. Every time you read the book of Acts, I mean, the, pretty much the first half of the book of Acts is, is how God used Peter, predominantly Peter. He's, he's the main human character there. Every time you read First and Second Peter, think of how God used a sinful man, a man who was a failure. The man who denied Jesus. And so we can thank God that truly His grace overcomes failure.